The Energy Transition Podcast takes you directly to the cutting edge of the global energy sector's shift, with a specific focus on the critical role played by oil and gas, as well as the pathways developing around a lower carbon future. Your hosts, Leslie Beyer, Energy Workforce and Technology Council CEO, and Dan Pickering, founder of Pickering Energy Partners, are joined by Josh Lowry, president of Upright Digital. Each episode engages industry thought leaders in an exploration of market-moving trends and topics, including new technologies, ESG, capital markets, inclusion and diversity, workforce innovation, regulatory influences, and the voice of the people. Join us as the Energy Transition Podcast looks at the state of the traditional energy and oil field service sectors, emerging technologies, and the path ahead in a world of lower carbon energy development. Welcome to the Energy and Transition Podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. I am coming to you a little bit different today from uh, the Upright Digital Studios in Houston, Texas, but I am virtual today with the co-host extraordinaire, Mr. Dan Pickering. How are you, sir? Josh, I'm doing great. We're a few days from Thanksgiving in terms of the real time here. I'm not sure when this will drop, but we're right in front of Thanksgiving, and so um, we've got visions of turkey in the head right now. Yes, we do. And Dan, I, I've seen this view before. This is the famous uh, Dan Pickering CNBC view that most people are used to seeing when you're on there. So this is where you post up most days, correct, in Houston? Yeah, absolutely. It's coming to you from uh, live from 100 Wall here in, in Midtown Houston. So Nice. This is great. It's our, with you. This is our first virtual podcast we've ever done. So the audience is uh, in for a treat today. Absolutely, they are. And so let's jump right in. Yeah. Um, joining us today, the CEO and CFO of Sunergy is Mr. Tim Bridgewater. Tim, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to the, the Thanksgiving break as well. And where I'm at, we get snow soon. So snow is coming. Absolutely. Well, you've, you're, you're, in, you're physically located in Utah. Your business is in Florida and Texas and Arkansas and Missouri. So we are covering covering the country with this podcast. We are six states. And it's this is an interesting um, an interesting podcast for us because for for us this is the first real true solar player that we've had on the podcast, at least uh, in recent memory. And so we're thrilled to have you here. Before we we launch in, we always like to tell the audience if they want to follow along on their computer with with a little bit about your your company. Um, so I'm going to yell out some stuff and, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but your website is www.gosunergygosunergy.com. And you're in the process of a coming public transaction with the SGIN Acquisition Corp, uh, symbol ESAC. And together, you guys have posted uh, several things to the investor portion of your website. And I encourage everybody to, to go to that investor portion. There's a, an analyst day presentation and there's an analyst day video. And so after you've listened to Tim here on the podcast, there's another hour of Tim describing the company, which I think could be really helpful for those of you that really want to dig in and get to know the company better. So, um, Tim, thanks, thanks for joining us. And maybe... Where we kick off is where we always kick off with our guests, which is before you talk a lot about your company, we want you to talk about yourself. So tell us who you are, where you grew up, how, how did you get to where you are today? Well, my journey actually took me through Houston for a while. We lived in Houston for uh, 1995 to 2000. Awesome. So we are uh, familiar, especially we lived out in the Sugarland, uh, Fort Bend County area and uh, uh, enjoyed our time in Houston and all the great people. Not so much the scenery, the scenery was a lot of refineries, but uh, the, uh, the people were, were incredibly gracious and kind and we uh, we loved our Texas. Uh, I love it, stand. it takes the shout out from the get go, that's good. Yeah, so uh, my background has been in uh, commercial banking. I worked for Wells Fargo early in my career and then uh, uh, went to work for the US government uh, export import bank um, graduated in finance from Brigham Young University 
and then uh, worked in international markets in Latin America, Southeast Asia for uh, the government, and then uh, in the private sector, I started an investment banking company called Interlink Capital Strategies, and I've been uh, managing director or chairman of that entity for 30 years. And uh, we've done lots of project finance, project development work uh, throughout those years. Um, and uh, I've been enjoyed traveling the world and spent a lot of time in Asia, a little bit of time in Africa and, and more time in Latin America than, than probably all of those. So um, the uh, last 10 years of my career, I've been in a combination of fund management work uh, from the investment banking side and um, also in renewable energy. And so worked on uh, utility scale geothermal projects in the U.S. and in Indonesia and uh, then gravitated towards utility scale solar projects. Uh, where we're building five to 20 megawatt projects for community solar and small scale projects for co-ops. And uh, during that time, uh, helped my son start a sales company uh, that uh, was based initially in Florida, uh, doing door-to-door -door sales, knocking doors and selling solar. Um, and that company exploded quite rapidly in 2019, 2020. And in 2021, we decided to uh, become vertically integrated by acquiring an installation company, and we uh, acquired a company called Sunergy Solar. That's right. uh, our, our sales company was Sunfirst Energy. And then we, um, from that point, we uh, just grown our business quite rapidly. Solar in general is a rapidly growing industry, and residential solar is the fastest segment of the solar industry. Uh, I think uh, in the U.S. there's less penetration than Europe, uh, Australia, and other places. But uh, we're in a really hot market with a company that's growing, you know, 50 to 100 percent year over year, depending on you know where you're at in, in the industry. This year was a little tougher for most players, including the large public companies, because of interest rates. But um, we've uh, uh, had a good run and uh, making good money, very profitable business and then uh, decided to take it public through a SPAC when a SPAC approached us about joining with them. So, You know, believe it or not, you missed a lot of stuff in there. You've done a lot of things. In the, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a lot, and we don't have time for it all, but really yeah, a did, cool career. I did, yeah, I did venture into politics and government. <laughs> uh, I, I helped on President George W. Bush's campaign, was close to the Bush family while I lived in Houston and uh, um, got to know uh, his father well, and um, uh, also ran my own uh, congressional campaigns. So, but uh, good for the private sector. I lost, and so yeah. I'm able to <laughs> stay out of politics and in, in the private sector. Well, that's that's a, a great career. That's it's really a great summary of it as well. Yeah, it's it's almost a certainty that you your business is making more money than uh, than the U.S. government or any political position you would have held. So yeah, they're going into debt fast and furious, and we're making profits fast and furious. So a absolutely, and and interestingly, um, most of the time it's the father who founds the business, and the son comes in after. And it sounds like in your case, your son started this business and. Um, and you came in to help grow it. So kind of an interesting, an interesting dynamic here. Yeah, um, I think that's, that's probably true. It got big really quickly and we jumped in and, uh, you know, I handled all the merger and acquisition business and, and uh, took the helm of the company uh, after the acquisition. So um, I think part of it is uh, we live in an environment, I'm here in Utah and one of the uh, engines of growth for comp companies comes out of this community where a lot of LDS return missionaries will come home after a two-year proselyting mission and they'll you know, be able to face rejection and go out in the summers knocking doors and Ooh. face rejection 30 times and then get a sale. And there's pest control industries, home alarm industries, uh, security companies, um, all kinds of businesses that are built on this engine of sales. And my son had done uh, a couple of those different types of sales and decided he wanted to get into solar. And so I helped him and uh, a partner, Kaylin, uh, do that. And as it grew and took off, then we said, we've got to take advantage of this opportunity. So 
long story short, after two years, we're, you know, we're $150 million business this year uh, with, with pretty substantial profits, um, you know, about a 10, 11% profit margin. That's, that's a fabulous success story. And it was going to be, you know, one of my questions to a lot of people who are in a business around energy transition, for lack of a better word, decarbonization like solar or renewables is, are you doing it because it was a business opportunity or are you doing it because you want to save the world? It sounds to me like you, you saving the world's great, but it's a business opportunity that really drew you to this. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there are some social elements. I think most of our customers put solar on their house to save money they get a good, a feel good from the green energy and decarbonization, but that's not their primary motivation. Likewise, as a company, we're here to make a profit and to grow our business. And uh, um, that's the primary motivation. Yeah. Uh, we're not anti-traditional energy by any means. In fact, our investing partner is a traditional gas and oil investor, uh, energy spectrum. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a, there's space for everybody, and I'm a big proponent of nuclear energy as well as a baseload source. So I think the future will have more nuclear and more solar, and there's a lot of growth opportunities in the future. So. Yeah. Well, let's talk, talk a little bit about your business. So residential solar, give us the, the value proposition or the sales pitch. Why, why does someone want to do this? Because it's a, I think if I looked at your numbers right, it's a pretty big ticket for somebody. It's a thirty, forty thousand dollar thing to put on their to put on their roof. And so um, how does how, how do how do you find someone who will and spend thirty or forty grand to do this? What's the value prop? Yeah, the great thing is that um, it's designed to have long term financing. So it really drives down the monthly cost of the system and it makes it competitive with the customer's power bill. So today utilities are charging um, let's call it a uh, typical customer be paying $200 a month in their power bill for air conditioning. It's higher in the summer and um, maybe lower in the winter, but they're, you know, on average, they're paying maybe around $200 a month and they can, uh, we can come in and save them monthly payments by putting solar on their home and driving their cost per kilowatt hour down. Uh, and they can also sell their excess power to the grid and get a credit back for it in most states. And I think that uh, it's it's a nice value proposition. We have you know, high paid commission sales representatives who make, make a good profit. Our company makes a profit. The finance partners make a good uh, profit from their finance charges and their interest rates. And we end up still saving the customer money. So I think there's a lot of inefficiency in the utility scale power costs. Um, and power is generally pretty inexpensive to create, um, but you know, it becomes more expensive when it's deployed through a labyrinth of channels on the grid. So, um, so we you know sit down with the customer across the kitchen table and pitch them on the benefits of solar and how it can save them money uh, monthly. And even if it is uh, just a break-even proposition uh, for whatever reason they still feel good about it, but the fact that we can save them 10, 20, $50 a month, depending on whether they uh, buy the system on a loan or lease it uh, uh, over a long-term via lease structure, that uh, gives them the ability to do a much better job in, in financing their, their solar, their decision to go solar. And there's some pretty substantial tax advantages as well, correct? Yeah, I mean, that's really the driving force uh, that makes it competitive with traditional power, there's an investment tax credit that's given to the consumer, the homeowner, of 30% of the value of the system. So in Dan's example of a $40,000 system, the homeowner will get a $12,000 tax credit from that to go against their taxes. So instead of paying taxes, they, they use the credit to pay their taxes and they end up saving that much money. So the, the effective cost of a $40,000 system is $28,000. And, and I, I mean, that number $40,000, is that is that just a pulled from air or is that a good number? Like what would a, is a $40,000 system enough to run a 3,000 square foot home or 4,000 square foot? Yeah, generally it's, 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 it's enough. Most of the, our average size deal is about nine 
kilowatts. It's in the forty to fifty thousand dollar range, depending on where it's at and if there are any, if they want to add uh, insulation or a new roof or um, if they want to do energy efficient appliances. These are all adders, so they can add different things to their system when they buy it, and then you know include that in the long term financing. Okay. And and. Tim, there's a number of companies that do what you do. Um, your your analyst day presentation did a good job of explaining a little bit how you're different, but do that for our audience as well. What's a what what's what's Synergy's differences versus somebody like a Sonova or someone else that that the audience might be aware of that that also does residential solar? Yeah, I think that uh, we are good at sales and installation. I mean, we're a simple company that does simple things well, and we make a profit. And most of the other companies can't claim that. They're very complex. They have financing instruments tied around their balance sheets. Um, so they're either funding or doing you know, bond issuances and things like that to finance their, their system. We use third-party lenders for our customers so that they get loans from other parties or other lease companies. And uh, when we do that, um, it makes our business very simple. So we make a profit consistently and we expect to continue that trend um, based on our historical uh, activity. We should be you know, in the 11 to 12% EBITDA range uh, over time and continue to grow substantially. We've grown this year you know, 35, 30 to 35%, which is twice as much as the industry average and much better than a lot of the big public companies uh, have grown. And so I think from the perspective of uh, where we see our, our niche, if you will, our differentiator, is we're a simple business that investors can invest in and the customers can have us install because we're focused on that. We're good at it. We pride ourselves in going from sale to install as fast as anybody in the business. Usually, you know, um, a month to 15, you know, 45 days. And then from installation to PTO, getting the power turned on in another 45 uh, days. And so that's a, um, you know, typically a 90 day window from sale to PTO. And that helps us with the uh, customers. Uh, in some cases, it takes longer. Certain municipalities take longer. And so our averages are uh, often longer than that. But uh, in most municipalities, we can move fairly quickly and uh, deliver uh, the install and the turn on to power or turning on the system uh, in a 90 day period. So, okay, pretty, pretty quick. And so you have external financing, not internal financing. Mm -hmm. You do installing. It sounds like some of the other players may outsource mm -hmm. the installation. So you've got your own guys that show up, take panels, put them up on the roof, make sure everything's you yep. know, in working order. Those are Synergy people, not third party contractors. Yeah, and, and the salesmen are the same, even though they're contractors per se, 1099 salesmen, they're all dedicated to our business and they're part of our team and they'll receive stock when we go public. So they're, you know, we have a dedicated workforce to install and a dedicated sales force. And I think that's a differentiator. A lot of the other bigger players just use contractors, sales dealers um, to for installs. I mean, they're, they're more at the 30,000 foot perspective instead of down in the weeds running the business day to day, which is what we do at Synergy. Okay. And, and you said at the beginning and uh, walk us through this. So literally your customer acquisition, it's not billboard advertising or flyers in the mail. It is literally knocking on doors. Yeah. Knocking on doors. It's the lowest customer cost acquisition, customer acquisition cost in the industry. Uh, we don't pay anybody anything unless the sale is made. Um, and so a lot of if you're doing online marketing or self or calling, you're incurring a lot of costs trying to get uh, uh, those sales. But we uh, eat what we kill in the sales side of our business. And, and that is very, you know, self uh, cleansing in, in, in many ways. Sure. It's very efficient. What's the step? What are the stats? How many doors do you have to knock on to get in a an, uh, an appointment, how many appointments do you have to have to get a sale? Yeah, typically it's a great question. I'm going to talk in generalities because our SEC attorneys say, don't say something that you can't back up meticulously <laughs> with numbers. 
So I'll talk in, you know, kind of a scale, but it's, it's in the ballpark. It's good. Yeah. We have a, a, a closer that goes out and knocks the doors and then the setter uh, gives the two hour or 90 minute pitch and closes the transaction. So closers uh, will typically close one to two deals a day. Um, they have to sit uh, in presentations for uh, every two presentations, they close one. Um, the door knockers will tend to knock on, you know, between 30 and 40 doors before they'll get an appointment. And getting an appointment, only two thirds of the appointments that they set actually show up for a presentation. A third of those will cancel. And so you're talking about, you know. That doesn't sound terrible. I mean, really, a third canceling doesn't sound terrible to me, but yeah. Yeah, but you, you think about the doors knocked. 100 doors knocked in a day is a lot of work. Yeah, that is. I guess you're uh, right. Some, sometimes there's no sale, and sometimes there is a sale. Sometimes there are two sales. Whoa. So depending on you know how that works, but uh, it's it's you know uh, <coughs> mostly summer uh, team sales too. teams. The guys are going to college, so they're making a lot of money in the summer. Uh, that supports their college life or the high living that they want to do in the, the off months. And so we're, we're really from uh, March to uh, September, and then our sales teams go back to school. So at that point, we get uh, more, um, uh, you know, the traditional sources, other dealers will do some sale, selling for us. But our, our bulk of time and sales is uh, in those summer months. What what state has the highest hit rate for no, doors knocked versus appointments made or closed? I think we're better at our craft in the state that we're, you know, is our core, which is Florida. Um, Texas is a hard door knocking space up in Dallas-Fort Worth, much easier actually in Houston. More people answer their door in Houston than Dallas-Fort Worth. I don't know if you can use that in the Dallas versus Houston argument, but um so, uh, you know, Arkansas has been a good state for us. Missouri, we've just gotten into recently, and it's showing pretty well. But we, we really have the most experience in Florida where we have a, a good yeah. track record of, you know, a lot of interest in solar, small penetration, less than 5% of the homes have solar on them. So there's a long way to go. California, by contrast, has, you know, over 20% of the homes have solar. And Hawaii has over 40% now. So um, there's a long way to go. Well, number one, I like to see that Houston is friendly. We open our door. That's still nice. And two, um, you know, I am starting to see more and more neighbors with solar popping up. So I, th I would think that when you see, and what's interesting is you'll see a neighborhood when you're driving, all of a sudden, just one street will just have solar down the entire street. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I wonder, is, is that ever a conscious effort of these companies, your company included, to be like, look, this is a key street that gets a lot of visibility. We need to go, we need to nail this street to where the neighbors see it when they drive in. That is that, do you guys ever have that type of yeah. focus? I don't think so. Uh, you know, the, the hits are few and far between in terms of neighborhoods for us. So um, I think over time, a lot of people with south facing roofs, which is where you maximize your production, it's probably the north side of the street with south facing roofs. And you see a lot of front uh, solar on it. That's okay. where most people will put, get the maximum benefit of solar. You can put them on the east and the west, never on the north, um, but east, west, and south, and get pretty good production. Uh, and and uh, so, so, you know, over time, one neighbor gets it, and the next neighbor says, "Hey, I'm going to do that. Hey, that looks pretty good." They hear about the savings. You know, people feel good about it, and they they just keep adding down the down the row, probably. Okay. Okay. Or there could have been a, a really you know effective salesman that went and knocked all those doors one time. Who knows? But it's unusual. That's unusual. Tim, what's a, what's how much does the sales force combined the door knockers and the closers? How much do they make uh, on on the on a sale? Is it a do they make ten percent? Do they make fifty percent? What's the what's the sales component of the of the the process? Yeah, they, they typically are in the high single digits of commissions, and that's paid out to multiple sales managers, sales closers, and then the setters. 
Um, so none of them each make that much, but when you combine it, it's about 8% of the total sales uh, amount. Um, but this is, you know, it's, it's hard work, very concentrated work, and they go, you know, 24-7 all summer long, uh, rallying themselves and, you know, lifting up their spirits. Sales is a tough job generally. And, uh, you know, knocking on doors is even tougher because you face a lot of rejection before you get one person that will sit down with you. And, uh, you know, when, when people uh, hear the pitch, I mean, it takes a while to understand how you can save from the utility who's been charging you all this time and feels like your friendly uh, power provider. But if you can save money, um, you know, most people are open to that. Even during the recession, uh, they want to save money even more. So we didn't see a drop off in, in during the COVID years. We didn't see uh, much of a slowing in our business uh, throughout that time frame until the high interest rates uh, slowed, you know, the entire construction industry down. Um, but even then, we've had you know 40. 35, 40% growth. So um, I'm going to ask about, about that. You, you know, interest rates is something that we hear and see a lot in the solar industry on, on the public companies, you know, basically saying the cost of doing business has gone or the cost for the customers going way up. Um, you're, you're growing through that. Would you have grown faster if it hadn't been for that? Or are you just finding the folks that are a little bit less price sensitive, or you're just knocking on more doors to find the, the ones who are willing to save? Yeah, I think our, our average size deal went down this year in part because of interest rates. We had more cancellations in part because of interest rates. The savings were not as high on loan products when you borrow uh, to buy your system uh, as they were prior to the interest rates coming up. So I think there were multiple reasons that um, uh, there was a slowing across the industry. Some companies actually grew smaller and had a negative growth rate this year. Um, and uh, we were fortunate to, while, while we anticipated another near doubling of our size, you know, that didn't happen because of the interest rate. So I'd say overall things slowed, but we're seeing now that interest rates have stabilized and actually may go down, if, if, at least being stable, uh, we feel like we're in a good position to continue our trajectory for growth in the future. Yeah, and and I think I saw on your analyst day presentation, you had twenty two hundred installations uh, in in twenty twenty two, and or I think you'll be about thirty one hundred this year. And as you look to next year, what's that? Or, or do we think about it as installations? Do we think about it as watts installed? What's the metric that you guys track? Yeah, so we'll do thirty megawatts of installations across the uh, our our uh, territory this year. Um, next year, we anticipate doing 45 megawatts or more. Um, that's about a 50% growth rate. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we feel we'll do that just baked in with our existing organic growth. Our business has been profitable, and so we've grown organically. We, we don't have outside debt. Uh, we have a pretty smooth um, process in running our business, very simple, uh, cost-effective business model. And uh, so we anticipate that we'll be able to continue to grow and, and generate more profits as, as we grow. When you move into a new market, um, are, you taking, are you taking this crew of, of college kids and sending them to Arkansas for the summer? Or are you recruiting Arkansas kids? How, where's the, or, or I'm saying kids, you know, individuals. Yeah. Are, are, is it a local sales force? Is it a, a drop-in sales force? How, as you, as you expand, where do you find the extra people? Yeah, great question. So we are at the heart of, uh, you know, BYU, UVU, University of Utah, and other schools where a lot of the uh, LDS missionaries, when they come back, will go to college here. And so it's a common theme to recruit for this direct sales uh, businesses, you know, Vivint uh, Home, uh, Smart Home, and lots of other companies recruit heavily in this arena and build their growth on that. Uh, the competitors in our industry, Sunrun, Solar uh, companies, SunPower, Sunergy being you know one of those companies, we all recruit in a competitive uh, force. One of the advantages to our recruiting uh, success has been that our salesmen make a lower per watt commission, but they make more money because we're more efficient at getting the installs in the year. So we're, we're uh, we have better, training, better system efficiency. And so they make more money 
and you know the industry recognizes that and has awarded us uh, disproportionate gold, what they call golden door <coughs> award, because our managers and our salesmen have made more money on average than other companies. So we we tend to be, I think, uh, slightly more efficient uh, than some of our competitors in that in that area. You know, that's a great place to recruit. To be honest with you, you know, those young kids, they go on their mission, their two-year mission trips, and they're, you know, there's rejection, there's acceptance, they're, they're learning languages, learning how to kind of survive and, and work in the heat, and they're good kids, and that's, they come back to go to school, and yeah, they want to make some money, and awesome idea. Yeah, it is. Because if you go to, you know, we're out in Florida, and we've tried to recruit from some of the Florida colleges there, and it's just not the same mentality to come in and grind. I mean, you have to have mm -hmm. the grit and the grind mm -hmm. to just face that re constant rejection mm -hmm. and pull your way through it and not have it overwhelm you. And most people aren't, their DNA just isn't lined up for that. If you probably that's, that's played in, the, in, in football or if you've, uh, uh, you know, served in the military or, you know, faced tough things, you're probably more prone to be able to be successful at it. And one of, the, one of those experiences has been this, these, these return missionaries. So. You mentioned very unique. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, Tim, that um, in some instances your clients, or in many instances, your clients can sell power back to the grid, and so that's a, that takes us to this concept of net metering, which which hopefully you can demystify it for us. So <laughs> explain to us what the regulations are around selling power back to the grid versus not being able to. Yeah, so many states will get, uh, and utilities, I should say, because of their regulated utilities, they're forced to kind of comply with what the commissions will, will impose upon them. But they all try to give you something back. If you produce power onto the grid, they'll give you some credit. But the states where we're successful in are one-to-one. -one. So you buy power from the utility for 12 cents. And if you produce power and give it to them, they'll give you a credit for 12 cents per kilowatt hour. And um, if it's 50% of that, so let's say they give you back six cents for every uh, kilowatt you produce and put on the grid, then you're losing efficiency. You're better off buying a battery, storing your power in at the 12 cent equivalent, and then taking it out of the battery. So in Texas, in a lot of states, you see more use of batteries, and especially if people don't don't have confidence in the grid anymore, and there's been some outages in Texas that have really, you know, threatened the, the folks there and made them feel uncomfortable about the grid and delivery of power. So, um, but by and large, if you can get the the one-to-one -one net metering in states like Florida and Arkansas and others, you, you tend to be more efficient. You can store credits and then utilize them. So you install a system that will produce more than you need during the day and help serve you at night by pulling you back. So the grid becomes your battery and that's, so you don't need to pay the, net, yeah. the unnecessary cost of the battery. And if you have a battery, you want it to make economic sense. And most of the time it's, it's not saving the customer money in our case, it's just giving them comfort to have a battery. Mm -hmm. And now the battery costs are coming down at some point, I think battery costs will be low enough that they'll engender savings. Um, you know, if they get to three to $5,000 for a 10 KW battery, for example, you'll be able to see and demonstrate savings right away, but they've typically been ten dollars to $20,000 for that kind of a battery. And it's hard to show a customer savings in, with that expensive battery system. So the one-to-one the -one is much more advantageous for the, the individual consumer, your customer. Yeah. And in states that, that don't give you full credit, and like California is one of those now, it sounds like, now, yeah. then, uh, then it's less advantageous for the customer, more advantageous for the installed utility. Is that a fair way to think about it? Yeah, yeah, they don't want to give you that kind of credit. They want to get cheap power from you and charge you expensive power. And that's what's happened in California from NEM 2.0 to NEM 3.0. Yeah. So what you're seeing now in California is that it almost makes no sense to not include a battery in the purchase. And almost, I'd say well over 90% of the solar installs now have a battery included because you can make the economic case now because the utility won't give you uh, value for overproducing. You can make the economic case to do it yourself. Is, is it a little bit, and I'm, I'm straying into dangerous territory here, but um, 
it feels like almost California's done a bit of a bait and switch. You know, they encourage everybody to get solar, spend the money, get get solar on your rooftop, and then come back and say, oh, well, we're not going to buy your power at one-to-one. It's, you know, 50 cents on the dollar, 20 cents on the dollar, something like that. Um, do you worry about that in other, in like in your Florida markets or Texas, um, Arkansas? I, I think most states, and I think this is true, that NEM 3.0 is the grandfather uh, existing okay. system. So there was a really a rush to install uh, solar systems in uh, California before NEM 3.0 took place. They wanted to get them in to get those benefits. So they, they tend not to cut people off if the previous regime or the previous policy was beneficial, they grandfather you in. Uh, so you still have maintained those benefits when you purchase the system. Florida saw a similar bill and it was uh, planned to um, grandfather. I think it was going to go into effect over a five year period and would grandfather everybody that got solar installed in the next two years. And, um, you know, it would then ratchet up the, 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 the net metering benefits to the utility um, and take them away from the consumer. And so, uh, but it was vetoed by Governor DeSantis and, uh, you know, we're, we're fans of his because he was helpful to the industry. So. Okay. And, and you only, you're only focused on residential customers. If you're, you have an installation business, um, Commercial and industrial customers, I guess the sales model is different, right? It's it's not door knocking, um, and so your view is that that residential customer is just a, a more profitable one than commercial industrial. Yeah, it's certainly more predictable. So if you think about the investment tax credits, which drives a lot of investors to do third party lending and leasing into the system, uh, you can predict with relative ease, how many installations we're going to have in systems because they come in small bites and you do a lot of them. A big utility scale project may be delayed a year or two years. So it's harder to predict how you get the tax benefits and the economic benefits of bringing that power onto the grid. Uh, I, I, you know, had experience in all ends of the spectrum and, uh, you know, it's, it's a much more complicated sale, even to do CNI business, commercial and industrial. Uh, business um, because it takes long to plan. People change their minds. Whereas we're just out going plunkety plunk, selling every day, adding projects every day. And, uh, uh, you know, so it's a little different model. We're not as, you know, use as much of the solar equipment and burners and panels as the big utility scale projects do. We don't get as good a pricing as they do either, but um, on the equipment, but, um, you know, we have a better economic model because it's more profitable. It's delivers the the benefits right to the consumer instead of to a municipal uh, power provider who then <coughs> ups the cost to the consumer to get their piece of the puzzle and then delivers the cost at roughly the same price that they would traditional power. So, Look, I just want to jump right back to one point. You just We were talking about those batteries. This is a silly question. Maybe it's not. I don't know. We, the batteries you're talking about, is does that completely displace like it? one of these Generac generators? I mean, do you, can you have both or would you just get rid of it completely for the storage on the house? Yeah, we don't sell many Generac generators. So I know there's yeah, no, no, interest, no. but it's a comfort uh, mechanism, right? If you feel like your power is going to go out and you want to generate power, you know, that uh, Generac generator will be there all the time, run it on, you know, gasoline or gas, diesel. Yeah. Um, and, you know, any, any power uh, Honda, you know, electric generator that you can buy at Home Depot, all of those kind of serve a similar backup function if you want that additional comfort. But, you know, you don't get any value day to day out of that system. There's no, it's just sitting there and may not go unused for, for years. And you pay, you know, upwards of $20,000 for the install and for the setup and, you know, and, and for the equipment. And, and then it's just a comfort, just like the batteries are in, in many cases. Um, they're just providing you a feeling like you're going to be safe in the, in an emergency. And while, you know, solar can, is designed and can be designed to give you the backup power you need during the day, uh, even without a battery. And if you have a battery, you know, it can give you three to four hours of power, uh, in the evening. Uh, if you're, if you're judicious, 
uh, and, and all the power you need in the daytime. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a preference. And we, like I say, we don't sell uh, a lot of generators because we don't feel like they're as beneficial to the customer um, more than, you know, from an economic perspective of saving them money. Well, no, what I'm saying, and I appreciate that. What I mean, too, is could a is there the battery option to be used as an emergency situation backup yes. where you, okay, it, that you guys do store or sell, I mean? Yeah, yeah, we sell Enphase batteries and Franklin batteries. Um, and uh, I think the, uh, we're not, uh, Tesla's been a hard battery to get, uh, even though it's, you know, an attractive brand and has, has its own benefits, but uh, they're hard to get, you know, it's a 12 month order time from time to time, but uh, Enphase and, and our experience has been really, you know, able to deliver volume uh, consistently, relatively okay. quickly. We, we have a scalable business that requires us to move lots of pieces every day, and uh, they've been able to keep up with us. So, one of the things that struck me about how you run your business, um, you don't you don't stack up a bunch of solar panels in a warehouse somewhere and have a bunch of inverters in another warehouse. Um, so you you have suppliers deliver all of the equipment to the household, correct? Yeah. yeah, we're capital light in that we don't take control of the inventory. The distributor has it and they ship a package palleted for that customer's installation with everything that's needed right to the home. And our guys show up that morning or the next day and install it. And... Mm -hmm. uh, well, how's the talk to us about the supply chain? Because I assume that was a little tricky, you know, three years ago during COVID when supply chains were you guys have you guys up. have read the gold rat books. <laughs> it, was a, it was a difficult uh, time for sure. <laughs> we had uh, we could get stuff because of our size, but it was more expensive mm -hmm. because of the supply chain problem. So you had fewer panels out there, so they were able to raise the price and get more, but we were able to stay in panels uh, because of our scale and our relationship with the distributor. Uh, in our case, CED Green Tech, and they, you know, they tried to make sure we had everything we needed, but the, the price uh, skyrocketed. You know, panels went from 30 cents a, a watt to 65 cents a watt, for example. Wow. And, you know, uh, inverters went up uh, as well. So where are they today, Tim? Any, any, any challenge? They're back down. They're back down to the uh, low thirties, high twenties. So the cost side of the equation is, is yeah, it's gotten more attractive on the margin. Yeah, and that's helped to mitigate the interest rate yeah. increase as well. So, and, and last question around the kind of function or at least last question for me on, on how your business works. You talked a lot about, um, external financing providers. Um, but then I hear you talking more about leasing now. So a financing provider is simply loaning the customer some money. So the, the customer, the homeowner owns the system. And mm -hmm. now there are the business models emerging where someone else owns the system. And at least yeah, I think that um, tr traditionally I was listening to the CEO of SunPower. I think Sonova and SunPower and Sunrun all have predicted that uh, this year, this coming year, more customers will utilize uh, third-party ownership, TPO financing versus traditional lenders, long-term loans. If the customer borrows, they can own the system and receive the tax credit themselves against their taxes. But if a third-party group owns it and leases it to them, then they what they end up getting is um, a lower monthly cost because the ITC <coughs> goes to the investor and depreciation goes to the investor. So they're left with, um, a, you know, a lower cost on a monthly basis. So their savings is really in the monthly, not the, the tax credit and other things as well. So, so what what happens on a lease is the maybe the inherent borrowing cost has gone up, but because the benefits are, are going to that lease provider, they wind up seeing the same dynamic, which is a lower monthly cost relative to the utility bill. Yeah. And, and who, are the, who are the people providing leases to this industry? Is it, um, is it big <coughs> infrastructure funds or is it who, who loans money via leases to? Yeah, there are a few banks that do it. There's a couple of uh, private companies that are involved in solar loans. Um, there are 
the SunPower and, and Sonova themselves offer leases that uh, third-party groups, uh, including inclusive companies like ours, could access. Um, we use a, a, a private kind of an affiliated group for some of our leases. We did a pilot this year and it went, went pretty well. So we've been pleased with, with that. Uh, just in the fourth quarter, we've seen an uptick in our sales deals through leases. Oh, interesting. So. Okay. At the end of the day, though, you are a, yeah. out, you're not taking any customer risk once, once they sign up, they're financing through someone else. So you come in provide your your install services your are you doing warranty work are you servicing on the back end yeah we do we actually um, so there's a 25 year warranty on the equipment which is really great for the customer and if there's a failure of an inverter or a panel then those manufacturers will pay us to go and replace it uh, for the customer we, we don't make a lot of money on it but we gives the customer uh, you know feeling that, you know, the, the, war, the equipment is taken care of. Uh, in addition to that, we do a workmanship warranty, a full, complete bumper-to-bumper -bumper warranty for the first two years. So if there's any problem that we uh, created, you know, electrical shorts or um, roof penetration, that there was a leak because it didn't get sealed up properly, things like that, we'll go back and we warranty that ourselves. And then after that time, we have another eight years of limited warranty that will uh, go and do anything that a customer needs, but they have to pay for the truck roller, so like a two hundred and fifty or a three hundred dollars, like a service call type fee, yeah, service call fee, and then we'll fix whatever's uh, the problem with the system. So we have a, you know, it's a pretty good warranty for the customer. I mean, I would think that everything that we read is that quality, the workmanship, the product has gotten better, you know, better, faster, stronger in the last couple of years. So. You know, when you mentioned a 25-year warranty, how often are you even seeing issues where you have to go out and fix something? Is this, is this a, it put it in, it's broken in six months, or no, these are genuinely, or gen, you know, for the most part, they're in for a while, and it's really the one-offs that are having issues? Yeah, so a, a roof will have lots of panels. You may have 20 or 30 or 40 panels, um, and usually what happens is one will go out. Mm. Uh, and so when you see that on the inverter production uh, system, you can see that there's a panel that's not functioning, it's low production, or it may be completely off. And, you know, they'll try to fix it, but typically we'll just go back and replace the panel. Um, and inverters, likewise, we don't use a big inverter. Uh, some companies do, but we use micro inverters from Enphase mostly. And those inverters are small and they're at the, the scale that, you know, one goes out, it takes out four panels, but it doesn't it's the inverter that's the problem. And so we go in and replace the inverter. Likewise, everything pops back up generally. Um, hopefully that uh, panel doesn't also go out because that would make it a little challenging for us. But we, we you know, we roll our trucks out. Uh, and <coughs> the manufacturers pay us for that because they warranted that equipment. So if a panel goes out out of 25, the customers, they're noticing just a slight issue. They're not noticing catastrophic failure of power, right? I mean, they're, okay. Yeah, that's, that's generally what will happen. I mean, if a whole system goes out, it's a probably a problem of the, how the installation was done by the crew and it needs to be fixed or reconnected or something like that. And there's a breaker that's, you know, they didn't get a main panel upgrade, for example, if their system was too big, they have to upgrade their main panel. And if they mm -hmm. didn't do that, you know, it may tax their system. And so uh, okay. that's one of the issues that will come up from time to time. You have to go back and retrofit the electrical system with the main panel upgrade. Okay. Tim, you're you're going public. You're doing it via this uh, the SPAC backed by Energy Spectrum. And and uh, why why go public? And tell us a little bit about timing and capital proceeds and what are you going to do with the money? Yeah, great question. We uh, had. We were approached by several SPACs. We were in looking for additional capital just to raise some capital. And we were approached by um, uh, a couple of SPACs. And Energy Spectrum was the group that was the most compelling. They weren't necessarily the highest valuation, but they were the most compelling uh, group uh, because of their background. A big $4.5 billion private equity group that's done a lot of uh, traditional 
power, gas, pipelines, infrastructure investments, and they know how to drive costs down. And that's what we're looking for is, uh, you know, making ourselves more and more efficient. The residential business is, is inherently sloppy right now. It's kind of like wildcatting out in the west side of Texas in the old days. A lot of successes, a lot of failures. There's a lot going on. It's a lot of fragmented. And so going public allows us to possibly consolidate some of those fragmented pieces, gives us some capital to look at um, acquisitions to go into additional states more quickly and bolster our installation operations there. And, you know, it's allowing us to move more quickly, plus the um, sort of the quality of being a public company sets you apart in the industry. There's lots of small players um, out there uh, selling to consumers with, you know, crazy names and lots of different one and two man shows and 10 man yeah. shows. And, and this allows us to have a, uh, I think, a stronger brand that consumers can trust and, you know, they know that this is a company that's going to stay around, nice. they're going to be in business. Those warranties matter. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's our overall objective as we go public. Okay. And, and, um, in SPACs these days, you never know quite what you're going to get in terms of when the, when the deal's approved, there's a redemption period that shareholders can redeem. And so, um, a lot of times there's a pipe or a, public sidecar side investment where you know you're going to get the capital. How much money do you know you're going to get? And, and um, does it, does, is it enough or do you have to have some proceeds from the SPAC? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, we're, we're expected to have, you know, after the dust all settles 20 million plus on the balance sheet, after we go public through the pipe, the raise that's going on, you know, we'll raise, um, 30 to $40 million via the pipe. Our energy spectrum has already committed an additional 10 million to come in with us in the transaction. So, you know, we don't need a lot of cash. We're, we're a positive cash flowing business. And so it's mostly for expansion and, and strengthening our overall operations, having a strong balance sheet. We don't have debt today other than like a million dollars in vehicle debt for our service vehicles. Um, so we, we, you know, are pretty, uh, <coughs> lean and, and uh, profitable company from that perspective. Um, so I think we Sounds anticipate like success in the pipe market uh, because of those uh, issues, but uh, there's no guarantee. We're just getting started on uh, that with a number of investors who've indicated some interest, but uh, uh, we hope to raise 30 to $40 million relatively soon. Okay. That's helpful. And, and, um, acquisitions is one of the things you talked about for these smaller shops. Um, is it, is it just a standard kind of multiple of EBITDA that you buy on? Is it a multiple of revenue? Is it a, how, how do you, how do you buy these smaller shops, you know, that are mostly people driven, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we can't afford as a public company to pay a little bit more than a private equity firm might value a company at because <laughs> uh, yeah. typically you're, you know, five to seven times EBITDA for a public transaction uh, for, you know, for a substantive company that's that's profitable. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, from a public company standpoint, you know, we should be both trading at a much higher multiple than that and be able to bring on customers using capital, you know, public stock as opposed to cash uh, for part of the acquisition cost, if not, you know, the full acquisition. So that's that's our our sense of, of you know where the the real opportunities lie is, is using our public stature and, and consolidating some fragmented pieces of the industry that we like or go find the the location that has the salesman that has the entire street locked up that uh, yeah, that guy that guy let's go find that guy <laughs> yeah that's one of the questions you've you've seen how organized dan is i love how organized dan is because one of the questions you know with regard with what are you guys going to do with the new money is what geographic markets look interesting, right? When with your new ideas, and we had a guy on one of the early podcasts that we did, and um, Jim Hughes, and he said I was really surprised to figure out what states were harder to do business in than I would have thought, right? Some some are that I would have thought would have been easy. He said aren't as easy as you think. So are there different areas that you guys have looked into going into that um, you think are going to be? I don't want to say easy, but are you excited about some new areas to go into or? That, that you guys study. Net metering, we 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 love net metering. 
that's one-to-one because that's where the customers get the most economic right. benefit. So that's our sweet spot from our sales team. But we're uh, going into uh, Ohio and Illinois this coming year. Uh, our teams have gone out, researched uh, the, you know, the competition, uh, you know, whether the big players like Sunrun and SunPower and Sonova are out in those markets or whether they're relatively open and feels like those markets will give our guys a good chance at success from the sales team. We'll go in typically and drop a sales team in the beginning of the summer and then uh, hire contractors to install for us for the first couple of weeks until we get enough sales volume to then bring on our own in-house guys there. That's what we did in Arkansas. That's what we did when we first moved into Texas. And, uh, you know, we expect to continue to do that uh, in those two new states. So, Good, good areas, growing areas. So I can imagine those are going to do well for you up there. Yeah, we hope so. And they're not necessarily on the radar screen of the big, big 800 pound gorillas. So, you know, we're in the, one of our businesses is the steel business. And I will tell you much like, I mean, I've actually had some LDS employees that worked for me, believe it or not. And they were great. I, I'd never put two and two together that, uh, they, they were some of my high frequency sales guys. Um, until this conversation, actually. But the other similarity that we're talking about is the, Mid- the Midwest groups are very effective. You know, the, that old Chevy commercial, the heartbeat of America, I think you're going to find some of the, the people that you find in, you know, Ohio State and the, the college kids throughout that whole region are going to be great workers. You know, the farm kids that came, come off the farms there, those are probably going to be some very – just a different type of worker up in the Midwest there. I think you're going to find a lot of good sales guys in that, that area. Yeah, no, we are always keeping open and trying to recruit during the summertime that our teams are out there. The, uh, I mean, all of our uh, installation people and all of our back office operations people doing permitting and working with the building departments in each of these states are all local people. So, mm-hmm. you know, it creates jobs, local jobs, and builds, you know, a good base. So we have, uh, you know, we have over 200 uh, employees on our payroll. Um, and then another 300 sales uh, and uh, setter staff that uh, are 1099 uh, that are dedicated just to our company. So. That's a good-sized company. Yeah. Yeah. So. Tim, any other questions we ought to ask you about our uh, about your business before we go to our lightning round? Um, I think that uh, you know I, I would uh, view us as the little engine that could. Right. We're going into a space to be public. Uh, we should generally be much bigger than we are today um, because it's the cost of being public and the compliance issues and all that you have to deal with. It's an onerous process, especially after Sarbanes-Oxley. And um, I think that um, you know, the, our, our belief is, and one of the reasons we're going public is because we're growing so fast that that growth should generate benefits for all of our owners and our staff and everybody that's going to be bought into the stock. Um, so we feel like that even though we'll be small in the beginning, that we'll, you know, we'll grow faster than our competitors and be able to catch up to them and be, you know, one of the, the four or five large residential solar companies that are publicly traded. So that's our, that's our objective. And that may require some mergers with large companies. It may, uh, definitely require us to stick to our knitting of selling really well, installing efficiently and making a profit as we grow. So. Well, you're, you're making money, which is, uh, there's a lot of renewables companies that aren't. So congratulations on that. Uh, before we do lightning round, though, you have to tell us, and this is impromptu. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this question, but you have to tell us your best door-to-door salesperson story. I mean, attacked by a dog or, you know, fell in the swimming pool, something. What's the, what's the best story? that you've heard from your sales force as they're out knocking on doors? Well, it's uh, uh, a good question. The best, the most, one that comes to mind immediately is we had a installation crew go and they were trying to pick something up after a customer had had an install and they decided they didn't want it. So, you know, we were going back to get the equipment and the guy at the house that was apparently the boyfriend or live-in husband of the, the person that bought the system got into a fist fight with our guy. I mean, he was just fighting him off. And the time it was like, and and we had it on video. It was the craziest thing. I mean, just a, a real jerk of a person. And our guys held themselves well. They behave. I mean, these are you know, our rough 
tumble installation crews and they they did, did it well but this last year just from the sales side um we had a young girl go out and this is pretty amazing to me she uh so we gave we give a two-year lease of a Porsche <coughs> to our sales and setter our top sales and setter so that they compete for this all year long mm-hmm. and about you know halfway through the summer everybody got discouraged in the setter side because there was this young girl in Arkansas that blew everybody away. She was 19 years old and she went out and knocked more doors and made more substantive sales. She made over a hundred thousand dollars as just a door knocker, which is unheard of in our, in our industry. Usually you're $30,000 for a summer. You had a pretty good summer and she just killed it. I mean, just did an amazing, amazing job. I mean, Nobody could say no to this girl. And uh, she just, you know, knocked on every door and got was able to get uh, a lot of uh, closers um, in with a qualified uh, person. And so that's been pretty amazing to this young kid really excel at something in our in our workforce. And that's and awesome. She's going to win the Porsche. She already won it. Yeah. Nice. I love a Porsche in college. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love stories. It's a McCann. It's not a 911. Don't get me wrong, but it's, yeah. it's nice. Where, still. where people work hard and win is, I mean, that's the way it's supposed to work, right? That's yeah. that's what our country is all about. That's really cool. That's right. Okay, let's do the lightning round. Tim, the, the and by the way, thank you. This was very informative yeah. a lot, and, and I know our listeners will really enjoy it. Um, so lightning round rules are you don't get to explain your answer. We just learn a little bit more about you by these these short uh, single word okay. word answers. So I can't, I can't uh, qualify. You can't qualify exactly. So, having said that, Josh, you want to kick us off? I do, Tim. Thank you again, buddy. Appreciate it. Um, Florida State Seminoles or the Miami Dolphins? Oh, Miami. The quarterback's out for Florida State. Uh, five Guys or In and Out Burger? Oh, I love them both, but, you know, the Five Guys Burger experience is really unique. Hydrogen or carbon capture? Hydrogen. Eagles or ACDC? <laughs> uh, the Eagles. Uh, will the world hit net zero by 2050? Mm, I doubt it. Cash or crypto? Cash. Lacrosse or soccer? Soccer. For 2024, next year, are you bullish or bearish on the S&P 500? Bullish. Um, F-150 or Ford Lightning? Oh, that's tricky. Um, I have a Ford Raptor, so, um, and I think the Ford Raptor is superior to the Lightning, but the typical F-150 the Lightning's way ahead of that. So it depends on if you're comparing the Ford Raptor and the Lightning or just the F-150. Unfortunately, you screwed that answer up with uh, such a long answer. So that one is just out, even though it's a great answer. He's breaking the rules. He's breaking the rules. (laughs) Um, Does the Ukraine conflict continue beyond June of 2024? Yes. Yeah, and we've just recently added the second part, which is unfortunate. But does the uh, Israeli-Hamas conflict extend into next year as well, or to June of 24 as well? No. No, I don't okay. think so. Work from office or work from home? Office. Another IRA type of bill in the next three years? I don't think so. And the only question that we ask every guest and the one that sort of makes or breaks whether you become a personal friend or not, Tim, um, will the Houston Texans make the Super Bowl in the next decade? Mm, Wow. I think C.J. Stroud is good enough to to take them to a Super Bowl. I Ah, think he's good enough. I I think think that, you know, Deshaun... Sean Watson did you guys a dirty down there. I mean, he's, he really did. He's, he, the good news with Deshaun Watson is that he's done more damage to the Cleveland Browns than he did to the yeah. Texans. So, hey, you you played football as well at, at BYU, or where did you where did you I play? Played at a junior college. Okay, um, and then you were injured. That's right. You went to business school at BYU afterwards. 
I went to uh, uh, finance business school at uh, BYU after this. Okay. Well, well, you know your stuff for sure. <laughs> How did I score on the on the lightning round? What was that? You did great. The, I had one uh, get thrown out. So answers, so but you did great. Um, Tim Bridgewater, you're the CEO and CFO of Sunergy. We can find you on on your website www.gosunergy.com. Um, we're really excited to see what's next as a public company, uh, and we thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it, Tim. Great. Look forward to the public in January. And thanks, Josh and Dan, for your time today. Thank you, Tim.